happened to your brother Adam back in 1981? Well, uh, as I as I will strongly, firmly stand and say, I was not there. First of all, I was not there, uh, so I I can't say indefinitely what happened to my brother. Um, there, the case, if you actually look into it, uh, despite the mainstream narrative that we've all been given, uh, factually has had a lot of controversy around it, a lot of holes in it, a lot of things that went missing, you know, things like this. So. Um, you know, I, I do believe that that's how I started unraveling, you know, all of this that we're talking about and things that we haven't even gotten into um, was looking at the case and really questioning things. And I said to myself, you know, we've been again, we've been given this narrative. I was given the same narrative my whole life. We respect my parents. You know, they're grieving victims. They've done so much with what, you know, the tragedy that happened to them. Uh, and so you don't question it, you know, you don't, you just keep going forward. And we're all kind of, you know, the masses really start from a boy with a baseball bat kidnapped from Sears, you know, all this and, and don't really look into the past. Like, what are these people personally like, you know, what were they living like? at the time when Adam was taken, uh, what was their lifestyle? Who were their affiliations? What was my dad doing? So that's really what I started looking into. That was one of the things that really uh, started getting a lot of adverse reactions from my parents, where I would think that they would be happy that, mm -hmm. you know, here's their daughter going, are you sure? Like, did you know this? You know, like, did you see this? What was, what's the response? Like, how are we reconciling that, you know? And, uh, and so for me, I, we did find, which we can go into, uh, you know, that my father and I knew that my father was working in the Bahamas going back and forth. And I don't want to get into all that until we specifically talk about it, but, um, you know, just very nefarious dealings and people that he was connected to, uh, as well as the lifestyle and the environment, uh, in the home, uh, with my mother, my father going to work and then having a significantly younger man. Uh, James Campbell living in the home with them, which actually my father had met at the diplomat when James was about 11 or 12 years old. Uh, and then we see him pop up later um, at about 22 to 24, I can't remember exactly right now, um, living with my parents and um, it coming out that my mother and he were having an affair. Uh, you know, my dad will admit and has to me that he was, you know, a playboy and living his own life, you know, when he would go to work and, and outside of his home life, Adam would was quoted for saying, I have two daddies, one that uh, stays home and one that goes to work. Mm -hmm. um, and James Campbell was a huge part of the Sears lawsuit that my parents filed after Adam was found. They tried to sear, uh, excuse me, sue Sears department store um, where they ended up dropping the case when Sears was able to prove that my mother did not leave my brother for five or so minutes, like they say. They were actually able to prove that he was in the store wandering around for over 90 minutes alone. Hello, and welcome back to Waking Up With Mel. This is episode 20, part two, the Adam Walsh story. So last week, we went into Adam pretty deep. Um, I went into his case and just generalized, you know, who the murderer supposedly was, uh, what the case was about. I played some testimony of the two guys that clearly were set up in this Adam case. I, 
I can 99.9% in my heart know that Otis tool is not the tool that was used in this Adam Walsh case. So I paused it right there in Megan's story because when I was a little girl, I'll never forget watching that show, like I said last week, and they showed it like Adam was sitting there for five minutes left. But we find out now that really he was left in that store for over an hour and a half alone. Okay. The little boy is probably wondering where his parents are. The story is he was kicked out and kidnapped. I have a feeling this goes very deep into the trafficking world in Florida. Uh, This also, we're going to link this case to Gabby Petito's case that happened in 2022, I believe. It might have been 21. Um, And how Adam Walsh's dad, John Walsh, and Gabby Petito's dad are linked. (laughs) That, That case I called, I smelt the BS on that one. The older I get, the more I can smell the BS. Like... The Sandy Hook case. Do you guys know what a false flag is? Let's talk about that real quick. Let's talk about what a false flag is. Okay, so a false flag. This is from the Wikipedia. We know that they're not the best source, but um, this is what they say. A false flag operation is an act committed with the intent of disguising the actual source of responsibility and pinning blame on another party. The term false flag originated in the 16th century as an expression meaning the intentional misrepresentation of someone's allegiance. The term was famously used to describe a ruse in naval warfare, whereby a vessel flew a flag of a neutral or enemy country in order to hide its true identity. The tactic was originally used by pirates and privateers to deceive other ships in allowing them to move closer before attacking them. It later was deemed an acceptable practice during naval warfare, according to international maritime laws, providing attacking vessels displayed its true flag once the attack had begun. The term today extends to include countries that organize attacks on themselves and make the attack appear to be by an enemy nation or terrorist, 9-11, thus giving the nation that was supposedly attacked a pretext for domestic representation for or foreign military aggression. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. So I'm going to name a few false flags that have happened. I don't know if you guys have listened to my Laurelwood Canyon episode, but I talk about the false flag that Jim Morrison's father was part of in starting the Gulf and Tonkin incident, which caused the war. Um, the Vietnam War. So they have been part of this false flag operation stuff, as that just told you for a very, very long time. I believe the school shooting things starting with Columbine are some type of false flag. Now I haven't got deep into all that stuff. Like I do know the Columbine boys last, I'm going to do an episode about these guys, um, had a testimony and story back when I did research it. And this was years ago, guys. So years ago, but I knew they were accusing the cops of like, I think they had got arrested prior to the shooting and were like fondled and molested by these police officers. I don't know the whole story. I don't, I have never looked into those kids, but I do think there's a lot more to that. Um, you know, the school shootings were not a thing until the Columbine. And then we have the, oh, and we also, we all know they want to take our guns, right? You guys all know that. I hope you do. Um, that's one thing that keeps America, America is that we have not given up our guns. If we did, we'd be Australia right now and it would suck. So 
if you'd like guns, don't like guns, that's on you. But we need guns to protect ourselves. Okay. And that's why we have our second amendment rights. And that's a lot of the reasons why they do these false flags, because it gets everybody up in arms. And instead of looking at the real problem, which is usually a mental health, which is usually caused because these people are abused victims, uh, we try to take everybody's guns. And so uh, Sandy Hook is another thing. You know, I don't want to say too much about that because look what happened to Alex Jones. <laughs> Jeez Louise, just for telling the truth. But if you really look into that, like the dad's laughing before it gets on the news, you could just see it. It's a show. Uh, the little boy that they sued ended up suing and making all these laws around looks exactly like Kyle Rittenhouse. Like, it's just crazy. Like they use these same characters over and over again. You guys should really do some comparisons and looking. Um, you know, I'm going to do an episode here soon about the fake moon landing and how that's, I mean, it's so proof. Everything's proven. So we've just been living this lie. And these people, like, in my opinion, John Walsh, they use this tactic of, you know, oh, poor guy. And nobody looks at him. And then they go and they get this money to continue doing god-awful things. And in my opinion, that's what's been going on in our government from the Franklin cover-up to small cases like Adam Walsh getting kidnapped. This isn't small potatoes. And that's why I'm covering this case in, in depth because, one, this case changed America. Two, it's still changing America. That money, those foundations are still in play today. And not only that, they're building upon this case, as I will close it with Gabby Petito's case. And it's just, it, it's rather mind-blowing to me how deep this has gotten. And I really would like to know what happened to little Adam. Like, did he get trafficked through the system? As Megan's going to tell us soon, why is he linked to so many weird things. So let's continue listening to Megan's um, interview, this first part of it. This, And again, I'll put the link to that podcast below. It's about an hour and 20 minutes or so. It's called Sacred Valley. She's amazing. I just love her podcast. I love her soul. Um, and I love the interview she did with Megan. So let's uh, share more of that so we can wake up more people because that's the point. Uh, also, James Campbell gave a deposition that my parents tried to have removed and the judge refused to, saying that their lifestyle and things were integral to the case. Um, James was even, you know, noted as, you know, commenting on the domestic situation and how Adam might not have even been kidnapped. He might have run away based on what was going on. So, um, you know, that, that brought up a lot of red flags. We cannot find that deposition anywhere. Um that's a, bit, that's a bit strange. Is that what you were referring to when you first started talking? You said things went missing. Is that one of the things you're referring to that went missing? One of the things. I mean, the entire car that they said Adam was taken in was never. All of a sudden, they, the Hollywood police said that it was missing. Uh, carpet samples with, that said they had his blood on them. That DNA didn't exist at the time, but they kept my brother's head apparently on ice for 20 some odd years it's reported and they couldn't keep the carpet samples to do DNA later. Hmm. Um, the machete that was found, uh, that was blood on it. They said they mishandled, so it couldn't be used as evidence, uh, which then we've seen with my father's boss at the time, uh, John Monahan, his son, Michael was actually had an incident prior, just days prior, I believe to my brother's disappearance where 
he had machetes and he went after a boy in a in a pool room or something. Excuse me, I don't know the exact. I don't remember right now the exact details. But uh, he was later also convicted um, as an adult for nefarious activities. And it was also rumored at one point that Adam's head or a head was actually found on John Monahan's property and then somehow ended up in Vero Beach. So, again, I, I don't have the truth. That's what we're really here to do. I think uh, it's a big theme these days in society, um, not just in this arena, but in big pharma and, you know, politics and and media, you know, MSM you know, overall, what's, what's this narrative versus truth? So I don't mean to be long-winded or, or skirt around the answer, but, um, you know, we have to all come together and, and deduce things. And we're, you know, I really stick to paperwork and, and, and documents and facts that we can find is what we really are focused on. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, my smart. brother, and then my brother, you know, we do know that Rupert Murdoch with Fox Network was uh, from Australia, was looking uh, for a host. He was very, uh, Fox Network was failing at the time, was, was uh, you know, losing money greatly. And he, Rupert Murdoch was determined to do a show in America called America's Most Wanted. It was actually um, taken from a show called uh, Crime Watch UK in the UK, um, modeled after it, and he wanted to bring it to America. He had asked two other known television personalities at the time uh, if they would do it, and they were not interested. And then all of a sudden, here comes John Walsh, um, and and he's you know he accepts it. So you know, I mean, what what can we take from that? A lot of people are going to say. Was he a sacrifice? Because then your dad died. That was going to be one of my questions, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, again, to that vein, I don't know, but only a head was found. I mean, it's very ritualistic if you look from that perspective um, on the case. So, I mean, there's a lot of perspectives. There's a lot of facts. A lot of it doesn't line up. There's a lot of and questions. And with that said, there are so many questions. I spent the last couple days to pause this and go read the case documents. And I read some stuff that I'm going to read to you guys. One, I do not like John Walsh anymore. I used to love that guy, and now I cannot stand him. Same with his wife. She's not a victim. She's a narcissistic, in my opinion, uh, evil woman who has kidnapped her only daughter's children she should know how that feels if she supposedly went through this. I cannot believe what Megan's going through right now as as I speak. It's insanity. The last episode I could find of her online anywhere was her in absolute utter tears because her kids were about to be legally adopted to these monsters from this CPS system. And I know this case is about Adam, but because of her research into her brother's case, her children were kidnapped. So I think we need to cover her too. I'm going to try to get a hold of her and interview her because that woman, something needs to happen and God will help her. But man, man, oh man. Okay. So the weirdest thing, well, not the weirdest, but one of the weirdest things, Adam's mom goes to this, this school to pay his tuition, supposedly. The witness at the school says she did not have Adam with her. Then she supposedly goes to the mall and 
goes and takes Adam to the toy section to play on an Atari and says, I'm going to go look at a lamp. I'll be back in five. Well, we know for a fact she left him for an hour and a half. Well, according to her testimony, she happens to have a picture of the exact same clothes he's wearing the day he's missing. What a quinky dink, especially in the 80s. You know, it's not like we all have pictures in our purses. And then the grandma's there at the mall as well. So you got mom there, grandma there. You leave the kid for over an hour. And I don't know. I just, I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it. I don't even think he made it to the mall. I really don't. What? You know what? He might have. He had to have. Because Sears said they saw him running around for 90 minutes. So he's at the mall. What happened to him after? I have no idea. And that's the question we all have. You know, questions, questions. So grandma's there, mom's there. That's weird. Well then, my, and I'm trying to get clear on the boyfriend. Is it dad's boyfriend first and then mom's boyfriend? Because other testimonies I've heard, the mom's sleeping with this this kid, that's li the, the live-in boyfriend that Adam is calling dad as well. All right, so this gentleman, he wrote a book. It's um, based on his own testimony. From, I think his name is Willis Morgan. His website is called frustratedwitness.com, and he has all the case files, and that's where I actually read a lot of this. One thing I read that I thought was really interesting, as well as the grandma being at the mall, was this. All right, so this is going to be the abduction of Adam Walsh, and this is by Detective Mark Smith, and I'm going to read you a certain section in this report. Okay, so this I read his whole, his whole report. Very interesting report. Um, that's where I also saw that Adam's grandma was at the mall. It's in this same report. This is page 16, and it says, it says, Strange Tips. On the afternoon of October 12, 1981, Hollywood detectives received a phone call from Hank Bloom of Vieiro Beach, Florida, in reference to an individual whom Bloom suspected to be involved in the abduction and the murder of Adam Walsh. According to Bloom, John Davis, 46, of Fort Pierce, was paid by the Central Intelligence Agency to kill certain people in order to send Bloom a message. Bloom claimed to have knowledge of Watergate break-in and was being intimidated to keep quiet by the murders of, the, of actor Gig Young and Young's wife. Look that up and they're trying to say that Gig Young killed his wife in a murder-suicide. And actor Bob Crane. Linda Fidelos and Adam Walsh. And, and I didn't look up the other Bob Crane or Linda. Uh, Linda Fidelos was murdered in Fort Pierce. However, according to Fort Pierce police, the murder was not politically motivated, as Bloom said. Now, I do believe Adam's case was politically motivated because it caused foundations, funneling of taxpayer monies, um, you know, this whole, these people that run these, these agencies are inside the club. I mean, this, the testimonies I've heard are insane. I heard one today actually of a girl who was sent to an insane asylum, trafficked since she was like two months old from CPS, taken out of her crib, two months old, trafficked to home after home after home, horribly abused. And then one guy that abused her in a mental institution then was an investigator years later when she saw him at 21. So she was hurt at 13, 21 years old. She sees him at a, at a conference for helping kids and he's an investigator. 
And she confronted him, and he ran away like a little... He is, you know what I mean? So anyways, where was I? Um, So they said it wasn't politically motivated. With the help of the St. Lucie County Sheriff Department on October 26th, detectives were unsuccessful in locating John Davis, but they left a business card with his daughter at 7.30 p.m. At 8.30 the following morning, Davis called Hollywood police and when confronted with Bloom's allegations, stated he did not know Bloom and never met him and was willing to fully cooperate and aid investigations. This information, combined with detectives' opinions that Bloom was bolstering his ego by claiming self-importance and his inability to explain why those sending him a message would not have killed him alone instead of five others, led detectives to conclude his story was false. And then there's more testimonies of other people. So, so basically, after reading all this, I got more confused than ever. So as Megan said, you have to stick to the facts. What are the facts? The facts are Megan's parents, John and Rave Walsh, have a horrible relationship. They spent 10 years in divorce court before she moved back in with them and lived in separate quarters of the house. They have kidnapped their daughter's children because she was trying to distance herself from them because they're psychos. They got famous from the death of their own child that was never really looked into correctly. They blamed the murder on a man named Otis Toole who wasn't clearly there or he was set up. They told him all the details. Those, it, I mean, go back to my first episode if you need clarity on that. Otis Toole did not do nothing to Adam Walsh, in my opinion. Jeffrey Dahmer gets involved. John Walsh wants nothing to do with even investigating anything but this guy, Otis Toole, who, by the way, they didn't even say he did it legally and closed the case until Otis Toole is dead. So now we're going to listen to a little bit of John Walsh. I want you to hear how this grieving father sounds in the 1980s. And then I want you to hear how he sounds when there's other leads to his son's case. We just, let's hear it from the horse's mouth, because that's always a good time. With the opinions of investigators, past and present, I agree with the ultimate conclusion of this independent investigation that Otis Tool was the perpetrator of this crime. With the acknowledgement that our investigation placed Otis Tool in Hollywood, Florida, at or near the time of Adam's abduction, along with the multiple confessions countered by several subsequent rec- recantations, our agency has devoted an inordinate amount of time seeking leads to other potential perpetrators rather than emphasizing Otis Tool as our primary suspect. One common denominator remains following an additional 12 years of investigating leads and interviewing potential witnesses after the court order disclosure of the investigative files that the pedophile convicted murderer, Otis Tool, has continued to be our only real suspect. Two weeks after Adam was snatched from the Sears Mall, his severed head was discovered in a canal west of Vero Beach. Detectives never found his body or his killer, but 15 years after his disappearance, Tool told a fellow death row inmate that he was responsible. There were holes in his story. He recanted twice, but Wagner says the circumstantial evidence against him is overwhelming. 
The announcement was followed by a humble apology to the Walshes, who for years were critical of detectives for misplacing evidence and overlooking important leads. Wagner admits the case should have been presented to the state attorney's office long before Toole died in prison back in 1996. They say the closing of their case is a reaffirmation of their efforts to see that their son didn't die in vain. That, that he was, he, everything that they said is where he was, what he did, the whole story. You know, it, nobody's got it right. Nobody has got it right. You won't get it right either. Modest Tool didn't recant his story. He had a dirtbag defense attorney who got paid by the state and he discounted. He's the one who said that Modest Tool recanted his story. He, he, you know, he played the game. He and Henry Lee Lucas would tell cops. I killed this person when they didn't. To get out of jail, if you're locked up in a prison, have you ever been in a prison, done any stories about prison? Yes. So it's a horrible place to be. So you tell a dumb, not naive cop, I'll clear your case. If you buy me a pizza, come and get me. Fly me to Armpit, Oklahoma. Get me a Burger King. Big deal. And I'll talk to you as much as I want. Otherwise, he's in jail, hoping that... Other prisoners won't shank them for being a pedophile. That's what Lucas, that's what Tool learned from Lucas. I, people, reporters like you followed me around for years. Said, why are you so driven? I said, you know, until you have a child, it's a love that you can't explain to anyone. It's not like the death of a father, a mother, a brother, a sister, a lover, a husband. Then why are you taking your daughter's kids, John? That I trained. They'll say, you know, I got married and I had that little boy or that little girl and I go in and kiss them every night. Now I understand why you're so driven, how much you love, truly love children. Because it is it is unbearable to lose a child, especially in the horrible way that we lost our son to a worthless piece of shit dirtbag. Are you talking about yourself there, John? of pages of the case were released to the media in 1996 after a contentious court battle in Broward County. John Walsh says it only served to be another bump in the rocky road for the Walshes. In 96, when, when all when those newspapers asked to have all those files opened, that was a, a, a big... Uh, did, did that cause problems? Because did that hold up the Otis tool? No, because the Hollywood attorney told us that you cannot open up a capital file. They tell a, a couple, a mother and father, that you'll never get justice for Adam if they open the files. He's protecting the Hollywood PD. He has us convinced that once the files are open, it's public domain, and anything in those files will never be used when they indict out of school. They'll never be able to use it to convict him. If I knew what I knew now, if I knew so much about the bullshit criminal injustice system, and I'm the guy that named it the criminal injustice system, but they convinced us, the city attorney, that this would be the end of our getting justice for Otis Tool. And that's why 27 years later, I went to Chad Wagner, that Ruvay's urging, she's the one who spurred the whole thing. She's the one who said, we've got to know. You know, John, you're out saving kids everywhere, you're catching bad guys, you're changing laws everywhere, but 
we need to know. I went down and spent a fortune bringing lawyers to the Hollywood PD and the dysfunctional idiot detectives who were in charge of it, who lost pieces of evidence. When they confiscated Tool's car, there was a blood-soaked carpet in the back that I'm sure Joe told you that when he, when he finally... Hollywood police never, ever developed the pictures that were at the DA's office with Adam's face imprinted in the blood on the back of that carpet. Hollywood never told us they lost the carpet, that they, there was no DNA back then. They sent it to different labs, and when Hoffman or whoever did lost it, they never told us. How could they do that? And then they lost the car. How do you lose a car of the main suspect if somebody auctioned it off somewhere? Because I believe that first I started out in a terrible, terrible adversarial position with the FBI when they refused to enter Adam's case because they said, oh, that was our policy in 1981. We'd go after mafia and white-collar crime. And I said, these cops, although some of them are well-intended, they don't have a clue. And I said, you're not even looking. You don't even have a search party here. You don't have anybody looking in the canals in case he fell in it. And in this bullshit, he's, he does, he's, he does, he's never walked anywhere. You're saying he might have walked out of that mall somewhere. He's six years old. He's never, my, my wife picked him up from private school, drives him every single day. Wouldn't let him ride his bike in the street. But She left him at the mall for 90 me. minutes. Nobody would let us look at the files. The DA wasn't for it until I ran into Chad Wagner. I went down to see Chad Wagner with Joe Matthews. And I said to Chad Wagner, I said, you know what? You're my last hope. My wife and I need to know if Otis killed Adam before we go to our grave. Okay, I gotta pause that there because it's not my wife and I need to know. It's you need to make this happen and you need to do it now because we have a lot of power and you better do it, Mr. Wagner. So I want you to open the files. I've got two guys, Joe Matthews and Kelly Hancock, probably the best DA in the history of Broward County almost undefeated, who want to look at this pro bono. They're not going to sell it to the National Enquirer. They want to see what happened in Adam's case. And he goes, I said, your city attorney will never agree to it. Nobody wants to open up the mistakes. Nobody wants to have a big white hot spotlight to look at the Hollywood TV in 1981 and the subsequent stupid mistakes they made. And he goes, I'll do it. I'll open those files. The stakes here, they found the they found the security guard. They did in two months what the Hollywood PD hadn't done in twenty seven years. And he said, We owe it to you. We owe it to open up those files. And I said, I cannot thank enough. That put the end to that. That day, I I never thought I would be that emotional because I, I, I know people say, Oh, you're you're tough, you're rough. I'm a human being. That, that little boy was the light of our lives. Where's your emotion talking about him? He was the kindest, sweetest little kid. And Mer, he was decapitated. Who decapitates children? Who doesn't cry when you talk about decapitating your child? Freaking weirdo. Because Adam was ordered out of the store. I hope you cover that. We never knew. Goddamn Sears and Robux had a security. When that's now he's damning God. Joe Matthews is the one who found her. And, and, uh, I became an emergency room nurse because I've had nothing but guilt for ordering Adam out of the store. Seeing him there with the two Argentine white boys playing the video game with the two black boys and ordering the white boys out that door, putting him out on the street, 
and the head of security, although never proven it, and she said it, told me not to tell the cops that I ordered Adam Walsh out of the store. So oh, they yes. had nowhere, no basis to look for Adam. 17-year-old girl, she said I had an abortion two days before I was on drugs, said I didn't know what I was doing, and I ordered those boys out, and I never told anybody because they told me not to. How, how good is, how, how, how's that to start the story when you're looking for your missing child? And Otis Poo was a surfer. He liked to surf toy departments looking for children, and it was his luckiest day. Oh, that yes. girl to this day says she regrets it and has terrible guilt and thinks about Adam all the time. Ordering the beautiful little boy out there, assuming he was with those two other white boys. Really sucks. Can anyone else smell the BS on this? I hope that John or Dave Wolf realize some closure with this decision. Thank you, that's my statement. To Mr. Jeffrey Dahmer. Like, oh. So, this is the first evidentiary proof that anybody's had that Jeff Dahmer had been in Miami, no, at all. And I found a police report from Metro Dade, it was the Public Safety Division, Dade County. No, that's what it was called in 81. And, and I had, according to Mr. Jeffrey Dahmer, and the date is 20 days before Adam Walsh disappears. Now, nobody knows in 1981 who the hell Jeff Dahmer is. There were not just two witnesses. There were six total police witnesses came to police who they had dismissed who when I talked to them and showed them Otis Tools pictures. Is this the guy you saw at the mall? No, that's not the guy. How about this guy? Oh yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy we know. Four of them were absolutely certain. The other two were like, I didn't get that great of a look. But, uh, this, this guy, this, looking at this picture, one of them said, gives me shivers. Who Let me ask you, have you ever talked to, have you, has John Walsh ever talked to you? Have you ever talked to him? No. Alone talked to him? I have attempted and been rebuffed. That's what it is, okay? You know, they don't want to talk to me. That's what it is. So, you know, I just left that alone. But John Walsh did have a comment for the Florida Files. Don't let the facts get in the way of a good story. And the Dahmer stuff is just bullshit. I'll tell you, and you'll never talk to me again if you leave, spend much time on that because it's not, it's a lie. It's it's not it's not a fact. I mean, it's it's yes, you can be all the reporter and you want to cover all sides of it. The public needs to know, but when it's a perpetration, of, it's just a tabloid grab and some money. They wrote a book about at, at, at the at the expense of a little six year old boy and threw a and threw an investigation off course. I stuck by take the high road, try not to hurt victims and exploit victims because the media knows all the rules and the victims don't know any of the rules. So they can shove a mic in front of your face as you're crying and dying and broken heart and ask you some really stupid questions. There's no fairness about it. I explored the Dahmer angle. I actually got a letter from the DA's office saying they wouldn't bring Dahmer back to a death penalty state if he agreed to talk to cops. And the two FBI agents that interviewed him said, not him, no shape or form. Milwaukee Journal reporter Ann E. Schwartz, who went on to work for the Wisconsin Department of Justice, was the first to report the story of serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer in 1991. And she wrote a book about the man dubbed the Milwaukee Cannibal. 
she and her reporting team at the journal were nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for their work. I have two people that I've interviewed. That uh, one is a witness, one has written two books. Willis uh, Morgan says he was at the Radio Shack um, and saw who he believes was Jeffrey Dahmer walk towards the Sears store. And then Art Harris has done, you know, taken all those documents that I have from from police. And he says he's combed them. And that there were things, we all know that in the Adam Walsh case, there were things that were missed. That was part of even Mark Smith and Joe Matthews tell me that the investigation just, you know, it was a different time. It was all this stuff. But my two witnesses, or my one witness and my book writer, say that they don't feel that the Dahmer link was investigated enough. You know, Michelle, it's, it's not it's not unusual when there's a very high-profile serial killer case that's announced in the news uh, nationwide, worldwide, that people try to find the connection to something else. That if this person has committed this many crimes, if this person has killed 17 men and boys, then of course we have to see who else he might have killed in a very high-profile case that's still out there. And sometimes you hear people, you know, who want to clear everything from the Lindbergh baby case to, you know, of course, to, to Adam Walsh. Um, so Jeffrey Dahmer was, was attracted to every single one of his victims. Uh, and I am going by his confession and also the conversations that he had with uh, some of the best uh, forensic psychiatrists in the country that he, that he killed. He never had to kidnap them. He lured them back to his apartment or lured them back to his home or to his grandmother's house. Uh, everything that was alleged to have happened in the Walsh case was completely outside of Dahmer's profile. He was a young boy. Uh, he was uh, Caucasian. Uh, he was kidnapped from a, from a store. Dahmer did not do any of those things. And again, we're going by his confession, but there, there's a reason that I believe the confession of Jeffrey Dahmer. And that's because he was, again, according to the, the forensic psychiatrist, he was ready to confess. He was ready to confess to everything, and he was ready to unburden himself from everything. He confessed to murdering Stephen Hicks in Ohio in 1978 when that state still had the death penalty. He could have he absolutely uh, could have left that out. There were murders that Jeffrey Dahmer confessed to that we would have never known about but for his confession. I remember when the, I remember when the police from, from Hollywood, Florida came up to Milwaukee uh, and, uh, and and were trying to see whether or not there was a there was any kind of a connection. And Dahmer was adamant that there was no connection to the Adam Walsh murder. They've had, um, you know, issues in the past and, and have thankfully gotten over them and, and have stayed together, you know, um, I think, it was, I don't know the, the official stat, but it's something crazy like, you know, 90% of couples who have a missing child uh, divorce within the first year and, and don't stay together. And so it's a real testament that my parents have uh, stayed together this long. I think um, the birth of my sister after Adam's abduction um, was one of the main reasons my parents did stay together. They had this beautiful new baby girl. Um, that, and that now they're kidnapping her kids. And, and bring into this world. And uh, I think she might.
might be might have been the saving grace actually and john walsh is getting ready to open another chapter in his tv career i heard you're going to be doing a new show on discovery id i'm coming out of retirement the fbi and the marshals have been driving me crazy they said john think about it you caught 1422 guys that nobody could catch you caught 17 off the fbi's 10 most wanted you were never caught all about John. All about John. We need you to come out. There are so many creeps out there. I, I've got two beautiful new grandchildren that I love and worship. That I just kidnapped. And, and I, I'm love and worship. I, I, you know, I, I just, but I'm coming back because I, there are so many horrible guys and there's so many cases out there that are unsolved. There are so, there is so much pain in this country. I, and, I, and I don't want to sound like I'm trying to create some paranoia. America is so much worse and so much more violent than when I started. Because of people like you, John Walsh. And I just was hoping that I could catch a couple of pedophiles. The people have supported me. They've helped me pass bills. I've got the Adam Walsh Act, the Missing Children's Bill, the creation of the National Center. All were because of the public. All the successes of America's Most Wanted were because of the public. Because people said, we're sick of it, we want to see victims get justice, we want to see these dirtbags off the street, and we know these laws need to be passed. And that's Adam's legacy. The, the public, the public has been so incredibly supportive of Revae and I. And it's, and it's time for it to stop, because these people are getting away with kidnapping their own grandchildren. Okay, so we're going to wrap this up with how this ties into the Gabby Petito case and a couple more just interviews uh, from Megan on different shows. This one's um, called The Dark Outpost with David Zublick. I will put the links to his show in the description box as well. He's on Rumble, and there are several interviews with Megan. One interview in particular I found very interesting was with a guest called Mia Taylor, who talks about how she didn't even know her testimony was in a book written by the detective uh, Matthews. I want to say Joe Matthews. Let me make sure I'm right on that. Yes, I'm correct on that. His name is Joe Matthews, and he's got some shade all around him. It's I'll, it's very interesting, and I'll just play it right out of Megan's mouth, um, his, his little part in all this Adam Walsh thing. But basically, uh, Megan's mom went to him and was like, we're close, close this case, you know. And also another guest on this show is a guy named Willis Morgan, who also claims he saw Adam Walsh be abducted. And both of those two witnesses claim that it was Jeffrey Dahmer who was driving a blue van. And you'll hear a lot if you read the court docs and stuff um, about this blue van. And it's so interesting. I already played you how John Walsh just doesn't want, you know, it's closed, case closed. Like if your son really passed the way and all this horrible way, why, why wouldn't you search everything out? And that's exactly why Megan thought he would care when she started searching it out. But instead of caring, he kidnapped her children. I mean, it's crazy. The last testimony I heard of her was so sad. It was so sad. Um, and it was about eight months ago. And it was the court system it, I can't even imagine, because I've been through family court, I can't even imagine going through it knowing everybody's against you and you're not going to win no matter what. The lawyers, everybody. It's 
it she needs justice and i pray to god she gets it and that this case is used to do exactly what it's doing and expose 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 because it's not just her dad it needs to expose but all the foundations as he said the public support we need to take that public support and take it back and take our money back because they're using it in not in nefarious ways and it's not cool um so Willis Morgan, he wrote the book Frustrated Witness. He has a tons and tons of information on Adam's case. You can find it online. Uh, another strange character is that you'll hear a lot is this Campbell kid, and he was apparently 11 when John Walsh met him. I think he had an affair only with the mom is what it's sounding like to me. Um, I think that was just misspoken at the beginning, but he loved the mom and Adam, and supposedly two weeks before Adam went missing, he moved out. John kicked him out. And he was getting a place, so him and Adam and the mom, I heard, I think, I think it's Revave, or Re I can't ever say her name right. Anyways, he wanted them all to live happily ever after together. And then Adam supposedly gets his head cut off. Um, yeah, so interesting. So let's finish up here listening to a few more things Megan has to say about this detective and uh, this Campbell kid and how this all ties in with this Gabby Petito case and John Walsh and yeah here we go um, yeah I mean I've been listening and I think you know a couple key things really is this Joe Matthews um, I, I guess that's really what sticks out to me and had from the beginning uh, it's something that I started speaking up about, uh, one of those, you know, uh, sensitive subjects, I guess, if you will, that I seem to touch on, uh, started asking who had been hypnotizing my mother, who hypnotized my mother, um, who was hypnotizing all of these witnesses that said that they didn't originally recognize the picture of Adam that they were shown as the boy that day and then were hypnotized and came back later, uh, including, I believe, the security guard saying that, yes, you know, this is what happened. Uh, also, he, you know, brags a lot about coming in and interrogating my father for nine and a half hours uh, in one room, which my father had an alibi of being at work. Um, you know, he had no idea about this, allegedly. So what are you doing for nine and a half hours? Uh, and then hypnotizing my mother and, again, these other witnesses. Um, he was asked, as Willis had said, to come in from um, an, an outside, uh, you know, agency. And actually what I had first found that got my suspicion going was that he was in academia as well, and he specialized in nonverbal interrogation techniques. So for me, that was very alarming and, uh, and, and you know, made a lot of connections for me. So when I started asking about that, uh, it got very weird. My parents, again, this gaslighting, this, uh, you know, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Uh, and, you know, for me, why I say that is because I'm not accusing these people. These are my parents that I love, and I'm asking these things, thinking that, you know, in ways that they would want to know this or would want, you know, to hear if, if these things maybe or, you know, had occurred and, and there was a different story. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I, I really feel, and I know that all of us would probably agree, that if there was truth to all of this and there wasn't any issues, then why wouldn't you just address that with me and calmly talk about it uh, as adults? Why would it become these huge dramas and gaslighting and, you know, saying that I'm crazy? Um, 
So, you know, it's just interesting to hear, you know, all the takes. And Joe Matthews, I really feel, you know, he came back into my dad's life uh, later. He, he went out of it. And then when my father got America's Most Wanted, he actually called my dad and reminded him uh, who he was and how they knew each other. And he's gone on to, uh, you know, uh, be, be a guest reporter, guest, you know, specialist on CNN, uh, Fox News. He's gotten jobs at. He's done the books. I mean, this man has greatly um, profited uh, and has since become my father's right-hand man, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to be a common denominator in not only that case, but the Lindsey Harris case I brought up the other day and some other ones that he gets involved in. Uh, and he very much seems like a uh, of my father. He has, you know, everyone goes through him now uh, to ask anything or to reach out anything regarding Adam. They're told, you know, go to Joe Matthews. He's the he's the guy that will answer, not John Walsh. So, you know, this is just a very suspicious, uh, you know, character that we have here. And I think that he is doing a lot more than he puts on. Uh, I also know Willis and Arthur both found the larger images of the um, uh, luminol carpet samples that they said, you know, Joe says all of a sudden, it was like the face of Karen. You know, uh, we, we found this face and it was Adams right away and, and all of this. And they found the larger picture. And I, I think both of them talking separately agreed or had said, it looks like a bootmark, or it looks like, you know, you would have had to really zoom up on one part of it to make it look like a face and then suggestively say that it's a face, you know. So, um, again, there's just a lot of questions and a lot of information that, you know, we've been given a much different narrative, and all of these people here have been ignored and even targeted because it didn't fit the media and the police narrative. Okay, the next part I'm going to play you guys is a clip from the author, Willis Morgan, and from this interview on David Zublick's show with Megan, Mia Taylor, and Penny Shepard. Very, again, informative show. He has just been asked the question about David Campbell, the live-in boyfriend, and um, he's responding, and Megan will chime in as well. At the house for a while. And two weeks before Adam, this is one of the reasons that uh, he became a sex Two weeks before Adam was abducted, John Wall told him to pack his things up and get out of the house. Because, and um, later on, during the interrogation with James Campbell, it was uh, found out that he admitted he was having an affair with John's wife, who was for like several years. In fact, he proposed marriage to her, but she turned him down because she had a son with John. So their thinking was, aha. You get rid of the kid, you get the wife. And that, that's an old uh, scenario that's played out many times. If you remember, uh, there was a woman, I think it was South Carolina, that got rid of her kids because her boyfriend didn't want to marry her because she had kids. Yeah, please. Well, I was, I was just saying a big thing that's been pointed out is, again, John Walsh paying for everybody's attorneys, including what he's doing now um, with the fathers of my children. Uh, and he's always, you know, said that he was the bank of Nova Scotia. So um, to go back to James Campbell real quick, uh, yes, they had, you know, what we found is that my father actually met James Campbell when he was 11 or 12 years old uh, at the diplomat. Uh, I do think it's quite ironic, as, as Willis was ending, saying that 
uh, you know, my dad puts out this narrative, and I think that we know statistically that usually it is people that know the family or family members or workmen or things like that that are the usual suspects and, and ones that commit these crimes when they're when they're real. Um, and so it's very ironic for all of this push to be to look for a, a strange serial killer, which actually there's a there's two different terms in law enforcement. Um, there's serial killer and there's a spree killer. Uh, and they, you know, mark Otis Tool as a serial killer, but yet they say the narrative is that he was a drifter going through the town and really was just a mess from the murder of his niece and, you know, very desperate and out of sorts when he saw this little boy, you know, against the wall outside the Sears. Um, so a lot of that doesn't add up for me. Again, that would be more of a spree killing was my point there, spree killer. Um, but going back to James, he was very young when my father and he met, uh, and then we have him significantly younger than my mother living in their home. Uh, my father would go to work during the day and it was, you know, in, in James own, uh, you know, interrogations and polygraphs, he came home as a young 20 something year old and would do all the domestic duties, put Adam to bed. Um, and sometimes Adam would even sleep with him. Uh, when he was quote unquote scared, they would say, Adam was quoted for saying, I have two daddies, one that goes to work and one that stays home. And then we have James Campbell stating uh, in the deposition, which is also the reason why my parents dropped the Sears case suddenly, uh, was because James Campbell revealed in, in his statements about the extensive cocaine and marijuana use, um, the affairs and the domestic relations that were going on uh in the house and around adam at the time so again everyone knows that adam was around a lot of adults uh when he was young and my father would always say oh he was the little gentleman and uh you know people adults like hanging out with him more than even children so um there's just this like also like willis said two weeks prior he moves out and he states in his uh, depositions that, uh, you know, he was going to get himself, you know, an apartment and his uh, foundation so that eventually in hopes that my mom and Adam would join him. Did you ever suspect, uh, Megan, that uh, your brother was sexually abused in any way, either by James Campbell or anybody else, with all the stuff that was going on in that house? Uh, yes, I do. And I believe that my parents were possibly swaying um, I know that my dad was very promiscuous, and if you look at the lifestyle that they were in at the time, uh, it was very much, you know, I'm, I'm the boy toy, you know, that playboy kind of, um, you know, lifestyle and mentality, and my mom has told me many things about, you know, uh, venereal diseases, or my dad having her go put cream on upstairs when she's young, and it was really crabs, and, you know, just different different gnarly things like that, David. So, um, yes, and I know that they were groomed by an older couple that was already working at the diplomat that's still involved in my parents' li life and, uh, you know, really have something going on there over them. Okay, I hope I'm not jumping all over the place. There's just so much to this case. So I want to finish with how Megan even started going down this rabbit hole. She did exactly what I did, started looking into who was accused of her brother's murder. And then I want to tie in all the connections John Walsh has and the laundry case with Gabby Petito. 
All right, here we go. For themselves. Um, again, uh, most of this has been research and things that we've found, uh, and we really want, you know, I'm, I'm all about the voice of the people, David, and I really want, as my father has ironically been on national news lately calling for, you know, everyone to investigate the dirty laundries and, and whatnot um, in the Gabby Petito case, you know, I think maybe it's time for the public to get involved uh, and be encouraged to really start investigating these people that they idolize or that they allow to have so much control over policy or um, protection, their safety, uh, things like that. So, um, you know, there's there's a there's a lot that we did find, um, and it's going to go all over. I guess I'll start again with my brother. We'll start there and kind of point out um, some of the key things that we found uh, in his case, uh, and then we can move to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, AMW, America's Most Wanted, um, you know, and kind of up to date what's going on with me and and uh, my situation with my family. And how, and how we can help you? Because I want that's important. Uh, so when I started looking at video footage and interviews of Otis Toole and Henry Lee Lucas, um, I started looking into Henry uh, and started there. So Henry Lee Lucas, he was incarcerated in Texas uh, while uh, Bush was the governor. Bush was known for being very strict and not giving any pardons out for uh, death sentences, which Henry Lee Lucas did have a death sentence, uh, and suddenly, uh, just right before his execution, he was pardoned by Bush. Um, and so I found that quite interesting, many have. And then that would directly correlate to Otis Tool. So there was Henry Lee Lucas talking in interviews uh, about, you know, oh, you know, I, we aren't serial killers, the CIA and whatnot, uh, they hired us and they trained us, you know, to be the ugly, scary faces out in the public uh, and to pin and bury their crimes in ours. We've already got sentences for life. Uh, you know, if we confess to things, then we get, you know, we get pardons, we get, you know, uh, there's, there's high incentives, as we know. Um, so he would talk about that and he would say, you know, Otis Tool. That's hilarious. Everyone thinks that he was partially retarded, uh, which they did say he was partially retarded, a spectrum of autism and other mental illness. Um, but that, you know, oh, that's so funny that everyone believes that. He was actually the smartest one out of all of us. He's the one that brought us in. Um, and, and then you go look at the history and the known background of Otis Tool, and he was allegedly, or and, and factually, I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know, but in, in all of his biographies and all of his factual life uh, events. His, he was raised in Satanism. Uh, he was, his grandmother would take him to rituals and he would be abused and, and things of that nature. So um, that would also then bring in, uh, which I, I haven't really gotten into, I try to stay away from the really dark stuff, but uh, the Heads of Death uh, cult, the Death Cult or Hands of Death, something like that, uh, that was rumored and has tried to be disproven. And, and there's a lot of speculation about that. So I don't really go into those uh, kind of things. But to stick to the facts, we did find that. Um, and I and so then I started saying that's when, again, I was prompted to say, well, what was my dad doing at the time? What was going on in the area? I had other people, again, people would be sending me things all the time. Or actually, when you start to look a little deeper online, uh, a lot of people have questions. And, and it actually has been known, you know, the, obviously, 
the murderer and honest tool not being, um, you know, uh, convicted or, you know, uh, what, what do I say, named as his murderer uh, until the 2006, nine, whatever, you know, the years fly by, excuse me on my time, but... Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, that that's just interesting in itself, the debate about, you know, opening the records to the public. Uh, there's been many authors, uh, Willis Morgan, Arthur J. Harris, uh, Penny Shepard actually had already previously done uh, posts and, and writings about my parents. Uh, that's how I found out about her. Uh, and these things were being sent to me. So I went back to my parents in the past there, and I said, okay, my dad was working at the Diplomat Hotel uh, in Hollywood, Florida at the time, and he was a cabana boy, and uh, he would talk about it and the lifestyle, and he was known to be quite a playboy. Uh, my mom, again, my parents, I will remind everyone that my dad was 22 and my mom was 16 when my parents met which we will get into later on the National Center for Missing Exploited Children and the Unconstitutional Adam Walsh Act. Um, so they were down in South Florida, uh, and he there's a story that he saved one of the owner's sons from a drainage pipe in the ocean and saved his life. And so he, you know, got promoted to hotel executive and uh he started then going back and forth to the bahamas uh and i would actually love to bring in penny uh for her research and kind of facts on that okay so here's penny shepherd with some really interesting um information and connections with john walsh I'm going to be making a lot more powerpoints but one of them will be in regards to hank asher and all of uh all of uh, John Walsh's connections to all of the presidents. So connected to Reagan, that's connected to the Finders, connected to uh, to Bush because Bush Sr. was, he was only in the CIA for like a year, but Bush was his VP. And then connected to uh, Clinton, connected to Obama, connected to Biden, um, you know, connected to all of the all of the presidents and the heads of the CIA and the heads of the FBI. So when Megan is in this custody suit, it's not just about this custody suit. Sure. It's yeah. about why she's in this custody suit. Yes. Because the custody suit is against her because she started researching her brother. Yeah, she's getting too close to That's the That's one of the reasons. That's why. Came Hank Asher's hub and everything uh, later. Uh, Hank Asher was based in Tampa as well, and of course the creator of Lexus Nexus Search. Really, he'll go into that later. But about uh, you know him and my father created this this private securities company later, and and we can go into the technology, but that goes more into my father's agendas of federalized policing and things that is for later but i wanted to remind everyone that you know hank asher is was based because he consistently comes up through this uh this the story doesn't he penny yes hank asher uh, created lexus nexus then he also created uh, another database which is utilized by the fbi by the cia by the dea called matrix and also by pd and Matrix was actually, I was just reading it the other day, was a preface off of uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's father, Robert Maxwell's software, which was called Promise. Boy, it all ties together, doesn't it? It all ties together. Sure does. And Thor. In order to research something, 
you can't just look at it peripherally. You literally have to go to the beginning. How did Hollywood start? What is the deep state? What is the shadow government? And you can't just peripherally look at something. And uh, I'll just throw this out here. It's off topic, but in regards to the Baldwin shooting, I had to go back to find out, you know, who who actually owned the place. And there are allegations out there that the attorney uh, was her husband that was uh, investigated in the Russia gate probe in it. That was not true. So the attorney, Sussman, hired a firm, Latham and Watkins. And I don't even know where that firm was, if it was based out of L.A. or Beijing, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Because they have a lot of offices. But they're putting allegations, so they're putting together things that aren't true. So it's very important when you're doing your research, you can't just slap something out there. It takes time. This next person we're going to hear from, his name is Mike Pack, P-A-C-K. He's also on this uh, episode of Dark Outpost. This is a different one. I've played you guys a couple of his episodes today, actually three different ones. So... Mike has done a really uh, extensive research into John Walsh's money and where he, where the money goes. you got to always follow the money. So let's hear from Mike, and then we'll wrap it up with Megan and the Gabby Petito shenanigans. The things that we found about John Walsh's 501c3 charity is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, Why are you things, talking about that, Mike? Uh, yeah, it's... Uh, so did you see the thread that I sent you? If you look at the short one, David, on the email? You notice John Walsh is giving, with his wife, is at the NCMEC Awards, the Missing Kids Awards, giving a, an award to Hunter Biden. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And, and, it's, and it's in, uh, you know, it's for, it's to give him for his late brother, Bo, uh, for, you know, some sort of like, these guys are amazing uh, advocates of child trafficking or are they anti-child, you know, what is this thing? And even though the word is that heart with almost like the double heart that the FBI always said that this is, a, you know, like a ch- child trafficking symbol. Um, that's that's one thing that's really, oh, okay, something's really wrong here. Well, that's that's just the beginning of it. Not, this is where you're really going to get kind of sick to your stomach. We... Then go into uh, how who who funds this thing, okay? Who funds NCMEC? Well, they had a self audit that they actually had on their website in two thousand nine for two thousand nineteen, end of year, and almost thirty five million dollars of their funds came from congressional grants and government contracts. Mind you, this is just a database, okay? My, and we've had a lot of people contacting us, right, Megan? With people saying, I put my missing uh, son on there. He's not getting, uh, he's not on the NCMEC database. A so big, many people are one, getting their kids. one to that, Mike, is, is what Mike's saying. Real quick, I want to interject this to give a little sure. more detail there. Um, is that that was another thing. I started having people contact me about different cases, whether it's their child being raped every day um, in my father's hometown through the sheriff's department, which he ignored and told me to call the hotline, or it was friends, uh, mother, mom friends of mine calling saying, you know, my daughter was approached online, I want to make a report. 
uh, you know, it was through Facebook or Instagram, which is a huge point here. Uh, and then they would call weeks later, and those reports would be missing. They had no record of the reports, um, which then Michael interlude to here, saying, you know, showing that who these key contributors are and private donors um, from the corporations themselves that interestingly enough when we call or have an issue with them uh the reports are found missing out of their database um and also mothers contacting me regarding their children's photographs school photographs uh, being automatically put into a database uh, and they're not being asked consent i've had several mothers now calling in life touch. Uh, to the national center and they're referred to this is what the national center is good at they are referring out everything you know they don't actually how effective are they truly in finding missing children uh, exploited children is all this funding that they're getting worth uh you know actually being effective or would it be better served your your taxpayer money being a 501c3 um and exempt from the freedom of information act mind you um would this be better served in local task force local technology things like that to actually be able to help um you know missing children or exploited children the last thing to that is i want to know why the national center for missing exploited children refuses to use the term foster care they say missing from care which is very misleading i've got another example of narrative versus truth uh and and twisting a perception uh it's missing from care when uh you know if we're really caring about making changes and bringing ho children home protecting children why aren't we why isn't the national center working on legislation to uh correct the severe issues within our child protective services in america who really is one of the largest traffickers of our children and what the masses severely misunderstand because of people like my father who put out these narratives saying that you need this for your best interest for the best interests of the children this best interest thing is really being manipulated um you know through media and these talking heads if you will to then get people to not realize that they're allowing in things like facial recognition uh databases with their children and it's all under the skies so it's it's very important for us to realize and really use discernment and question these things these days and a lot of people wonder, is this a dissemination-controlled uh, operation? And then when we look at the other companies that help fund this group, it's insane. I mean, we have huge corporate sponsors. I mean, when Facebook is giving them a million dollars per year, when Old Navy is giving them a million dollars per year, we got Microsoft, Google, Airbnb, Adobe, Disney, Kohl's, Pokemon, TikTok, Verizon. Yep. Motorola. I mean, that just in 2019, that was uh, that equated to 18 million dollars in corporate sponsorships. This is insane. Uh, what are they getting out of that, or what do they have to do for that? Yeah, and then they establish these affiliations with all. I mean, my father's an honorary U.S. Marshal. He's worked for ICE, Homeland Secure, with you know, not for. I shouldn't say that. Um, with. You know, again, and then he gets these accolades. It's like we see with Gabby Petito now and everything. The huge narrative now is domestic violence and mental illness and yeah. you know, these new federalized things that we should be doing. Um, and 
ironically, while my father is domestically abusing, terrorizing, really, and uh, uh, his own family, his own daughter and children, and has clear mental issues, which a lot of people are starting to point out online, especially since his... Um, well, and you, you just you mentioned earlier the, the, the drinking problem, the sex addiction. There, there's something uh, that, that is, is a springboard for all of the, the horrific things that have been happening to you. Yes, and he is very, you know, he, he has very uh, big issues with controlling his emotions and not getting his way. Uh, my mother is even more sinister about that kind of stuff than he is. So, yes, you're absolutely right, David. Mm-hmm. I think that would lead us greatly into uh, to this Gabby Petito, Mike, that you were speaking on in Brian Laundrie, uh, Kate, situation. Yeah, and, and originally, like, I, I thought it mat- automatically, you know, this is a deep state false flag operation. Um, and then also, New York Post drops this big bomb that Gabby Petito was in the irreplaceable video for Sandy Hook. I mean, how crazy is that? Can't make it up. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that blew <laughs> my mind. It's like they can't get new actresses or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, yeah, something's going on. Well, it's interesting, and interestingly enough, that both the potatoes, both the potatoes and the laundries were from Long Island. And then uh, Petito, Brian, uh, Brian proposes to her, and the following, in March, in the, which was her birthday, her birthday, her birthday is March 19th, um, Brian proposes to her, and then in April, and I don't know what the date, maybe Hitler's birthday, I don't know, but in April... Uh, the father of uh, Petito, of Gabby, moves to Vero Beach. Six it's months later, her daughter is dead. But who, lives, who do we know that lives in Vero Beach? John Walsh. Oh. And when did they start this whole attack on me, guys? April Fool's Day. Yeah, that's like a Tampa. satanic thing, if you ask me. Uh, and the autopsy reports, of course. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still looking for ties with them, with the occult. Yeah. Oh, you'll Wait, find Mike. it. You'll yeah. find it. I think. I yeah. was told. I actually was told a potential connection with that that the laundries are involved in the occult. So that's why um, Brian Laundry's notebook was so, or his readings and the drawings that people had found were so dark. Um, I was told to look into. Uh, the manufacturing company of uh, the juicing machines that they sell. Uh, I believe it's FMC, Food Machinery and Chemicals, um, and that also that company makes pill presses as well. Uh, so, you know, I was told hmm. to kind of look in that direction. Um, also in Vero Beach, apparently we have Natalie's Juicing and some of the older families that would be the Sexton family, which is one of the largest uh, families in our oldest and wealthiest families in our town. Um, originating with the Driftwood Hotel on the water was uh, Waldo Sexton, and that was known uh, as a whorehouse for the Navy trainees that would be coming off of Dynamite Point and different places in the area at the time. So uh, then we have a a port. We've got a lot of water. Captain Hiram's is a restaurant here that ironically is owned by a Collins family and started by a Collins family. Um, And that would have to do a lot with the drug trafficking that we've been talking about. And all of these men uh, coming from South Florida, Hollywood area, 
doing this originally, and then uh, my brother's head being found, ironically, in Vero Beach as well, and my parents moving here and living here, uh, and and then having, you know, I grew up with several of my father's good friends. I mean, he had very few friends. He was always traveling, and the good friends that he had, I grew up with their kids, and they were ex drug guys you know one of them disappeared for years and we thought he you know something happened to him and we ended up finding out the whole time he had been in federal prison so um you know and one on the back of our island where we grew up was known to have his plane come in and was at the time even when we were in high school selling coke so um you know there seems to be this theme with uh you know the drug trafficking and coming up here also uh there have been a few uh boys or men of my brother's age and peers and peers of his growing up that have been busted for uh, trafficking drugs. Uh, they got sentences. My dad actually got involved with his best friend. Uh, my brother's best friend got in trouble, um, Jake Parks, and he actually, uh, my dad got involved and gained him a lesser sentence. And uh, so we're finding out, all, and Zachary Rose is someone people can look up. Uh, Zachary Rose was actually affiliated with the, uh, I believe it's the Georgia Brothers, who are American Pain, so the American Pain Clinics. Um, also, these men will, the fathers will have construction businesses, it'll be lawn services, and it will be uh, storage and moving trucks. Uh, and that's kind of what's going on between the affiliation there. I know we got a little deeper than I meant to, but, uh, you know, it's just things to throw out and actually look into like we're talking about research and looking at different perspectives uh, for people to kind of see what they find on their own. And ironic that Petito, Gabby Petito's father, now suddenly lives in our town, the same one as John Walsh, and now he's coming out, the stoic father uh, who is creating foundations for mental illness and domestic violence. The name passed the breathing process yet and he's already starting a foundation <laughs> and doing and doing national interviews and things like that just like my father uh was put out you know with adam when he found out that was told about a head being found uh he was what at good morning america in new york everyone knows that i you know don't take my word for it um, but it's, but it's very interesting and then we have the search where you know, this is, you know, this girl goes missing, but really the laundries, my dad's sitting there, you know, just calling for this boy, this man, this young man to kill himself. He's incriminating this man and his parents nationally and getting the entire nation to be angry and, and have this certain perspective when technically, I hate to say it, I know I'm not going to be popular, but technically there still is no evidence that Brian Laundrie killed Gabby Petito. There is still no evidence of it. Um, you know, exactly, you know. And then here we go. We have a two-week search, right, guys, for on a national level uh, for his remains. They only find skeletal remains, uh, Adam, and it's a skull, Adam. After two, only two weeks. After two weeks, Adam. It's found in rising and falling water, Adam. Uh, it's identified by dental records, Adam. Uh, you know, it, the list goes on. Um, it's an absolute and, mirror to Adam, it seems like. Mm -hmm. um, like with, between Brian's, them finding, and then Brian's family goes, hey, we'll go and help you one day. And then a half hour later, and it was only a half hour. They literally stepped out of their house, and a half hour later, they found 
the remains of Brian Laundry. And all that time talked about Hunter is up there in the swamps and all that knocking on the door. The big question is whether Adam's remains were actually Adam's remains. There's never been any DNA. So you don't have no confirmation that, that that's your brother. No, not at all. And then here's my brother on T on on TV and everything going. Oh, I finally hi I find it highly suspect that you know his parents didn't put plant the bones there. That it was we know it was the it had to be the parents. Isn't this so fishy? He keeps saying. I mean, it's just. And my dad keeps talking about Paradise Island also, ironically, when he's never in the history of his interviews and reciting the script of my brother's murder and what happened to his son, like, uh, you know, sports stats at this point. Uh, he has never brought up Paradise Island. And from the beginning of these interviews with this case, he's been saying, I was a hotel owner and going to Paradise Island. Uh, the laundries live on Wabasso Ave. That's where my parents technically live in Vero. Uh, it's it's just very interesting. Um, your birthday is July fifteenth, nineteen eighty-two. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also, ironically, uh, okay. with my case going on, all of the allegations in my case, uh, what they're saying I am as a mother, is actually stuff that was going on when Adam was alive in the home. Uh, with my mother's substance abuse and their infidelities and the lifestyle they were leading and also things that I experienced from my mother, like the abuse and um, assaults and, you know, different things growing up from her. It was it was horrific. Um, and so it's very interesting. I bring that up is because my mother, this might have been a hor- horrific uh, tragedy with my brother that happened, but, you know, there they're ignoring or what has been ignored and many other people have pointed out is that you know my mother it's technically parental neglect i mean the fact that she left my brother um you know in the store and that's kind of the the root of how this eventually happened and again i i would hate to be saying any of this but you know fact is fact truth is truth and we really need to be uh you know speaking out like this to show other perspectives and and ways that we can look at different things Absolutely. And with that said, we are now concluding episode two of the Adam Walsh mystery, where I now have more questions than I did when I started. What happened to Adam Walsh? Is he alive? Is he dead? Did John Walsh use him for a sacrifice? Was the mom part of just dropping him off there that day, knowing what would happen? Is Jeffrey Dahmer involved? I mean, this is, this case gets wild. And I have to add this little side note. I have been doing a ton of research lately about Stanley Kubrick, and I will be doing an episode probably next week about him, the fake moon landing uh, documentary I watched called Dark Side of the Moon with Rumsfeld and everybody basically admitting the truth. (laughs) I mean, these guys always tell us the truth. It's just a matter of do you listen. So anyways... His last show, he after he filmed the moon landing, he and I'll go, like I said, more into depth with this, but he uh, was given all editing rights and final cut of all his shows, 
Well, according to this interview that some say isn't really him, but I do truly believe it is because he talks about smells, sights, everything very in depth. Um, and I, like I said, I'll get deeper into this, but he says that the reason he was coming forward with the truth in this, in this interview that was not allowed to be released until 15 years after he was dead, um, to protect him and his family. He said the reason he was coming forward is because he didn't get final editing rights on Eyes Wide Shut, which was his last film. Now, this interview was done March, I want to say, 5th, and he died two days later uh, on the 7th. And I could be off on those dates. I will do a full podcast on everything um, next week, and it will probably be a couple series as well. But in Eyes Wide Shut, they have a very interesting scene that reminded me of Adam. And that's why I'm bringing all of this up. Because Adam, even his name is interesting to me. because It's like the Adam of all the kidnappings, the beginning. You know what I mean? Um, the start of making this like a public fear thing. Where now, I mean, most of our kids can't even go play outside because all of us have grown up with this fear mongering on television and this brainwashing that it's not safe to let our children be outside because they just could be kidnapped and now there's a lot of weirdos that will do that but honestly I think most kidnappings uh, these 800,000 children that go missing each year in America alone I believe I believe it's more deep than we really realize I believe it's uh, on purpose let's say so the scene with Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise is their kid walking off at the mall in this toy section and never reappearing in the show again. And Stanley Kubrick had a weird way of showing truth in his movies. And now that I know this, I'm going to go back and rewatch even The Shining. I never liked that show because it was so dark. But they're saying that's how he felt and his family and his kids after he had to go lock himself away after filming the moon landing. And there's tons of, of little clues in that show. So we'll get deeper into that uh, next week, but just interesting how they had that little weird scene with this little kid walking away with two strangers at a mall in the toy section and never reappearing back in the show. <laughs> Who knows? Father God, you know everything, and I thank you for all things. I thank you that you are changing all of this right now as I speak, that we are all alive right now for such a time as this. I thank you for all the awesome podcasters out there that are speaking the truth, putting their necks on the line, their reputations, just to to try to wake people up. And I pray that each and every episode that someone listens to of, of this wakes them up or plants a seed for them to do their own research and their own understanding and and then they can start planting the seeds and then we can all just be one team together not a new world order but a free thinking not programmed united states of america and not just here but across the world all the places lord all the places because every person on this planet is your child and you love them and i thank you for the people that are listening i pray for a hedge of protection around us as we go through these crazy times and I thank you that you again are changing everything and I pray that you fill us all up with some glory some strength that can only come from you in Jesus holy name I pray and I do these podcasts for you so may your glory come through 